Welcome to this special episode of the Hive Life Podcast as we take an introspective look at influencing entrepreneurs, a video and teaching series by our good friend Cass Ward. During this episode, we'll break down some of the key points of his interview with Kathy Alexander of Sugar Homemade Gourmet Donuts. I'm Jared Latch alongside my business partner, Tim Bear and Cass Ward as we dive into episode 104 of Influencing Entrepreneurs. During this episode, we'll tackle the following topics, building your entrepreneurial toolbox, sales experiences, sales fulfillment and operations, employee management, and building a customer base. So as we get started and we look at building your entrepreneurial toolbox, how does one train to be an entrepreneur? Well, with Kathy's story, it's pretty obvious. Um, she did not plan on training for to be an entrepreneur. So she started in selling uh, medical training to other healthcare services. From there, she sold medical devices. In between all of that, she was an author and wrote a book on um, childbirth. So she really had her hand in a bunch of different buckets, you know, trying a bunch of different things and really building a wide array of skills to run a business. In doing that, she really nailed down and honed in on her sales, her sales experience and her sales training. She knew in order to start a company, whether it was donut companies, selling a book, it's all about driving revenue. How do I identify my customer, contact my customer, and get them straight into the, into the store or business? I think that's a little bit different, right? For most people, we think, okay, here's what we have. Let's just sell it to the masses rather than truly identifying a customer base and then going directly after that specific customer. Yeah, I think, you know, when you think of dialing in, I mean, we try and figure out who our customer base is all the time. <laughs> it's a constant conversation. It's a rotating <laughs> discussion. That's right. And uh, and so to know that and to be able to have that at your... Um, you know your fingertips it's a it's a huge talent and i think it is another piece of that that puzzle i don't know that you necessarily always have the toolbox full going in and i think that as you hear with kathy i mean the fact that she's willing to add more tools in is important you know right. that that ability to try and find those other things that are going to help uh turn it on it's always good with her background she she mentions her passion was baked goods that that's what led to donuts but her background still was just sales. She, she built that networking format. She knew how to identify the value proposition. What am I selling and how can I have it connect with my customers? And there was no clear cut path as far as recipes in the beginning, I know, which you had a tough job of tasting the donuts as they were being made <laughs> yeah. to put your stamp of approval on whether the, to move these out. You're noticeably skinnier now. Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> when you were starting sugar, it was, uh, yeah. was uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I sweat when I talk. So. <laughs> those, those are those maple bacon. Yeah. Those will make oh, you sweat man. for sure. So when you look at the sales experience and you look at a variety of individuals who are going to become entrepreneurs or start different businesses, how essential or necessary is having sales experience on the front end. I know Tim and <laughs> In I, our did, case, we, didn't. we had zero. So when you look at that, I know it's beneficial, but how necessary? Well, the question I'd, I'd throw back at you is how do you sell a donut? So our idea is if the three of us opened a donut shop today, it would all rely on advertising. 
do we advertise on Instagram? Do we put an ad in the paper? Do we do commercials? All of those different mediums. She she knew that that was the step one where she was excellent is she contacted every corporate park. She honed in on real estate and property developers to say, what can I do to get our food truck to service your area? Is there a fee? Wouldn't your, you know, your, your office park is out five miles from the nearest restaurant. Wouldn't it be nice if on Wednesdays there was donut truck Wednesday and all your employees could come down? And it was funny because the, the, the property managers didn't think of things like that. I remember early on being involved in this that we'd pull the truck up and it was like, you felt like rock stars. There were people lining up so, waiting for the truck. And if there was bad weather or there was a pre-booked event and we didn't show up on those days, the amount of complaints were like, it's Wednesday, I'm at this so-and-so park, I'm waiting for my donut. It sounds like you guys might have stumbled on another business of brokering food trucks at <laughs> yeah. different buildings yeah. and really could have cracked that nut too yeah. at the same time. I mean, I think um, to be able to think differently and, and like you said, you're, you're just selling a donut, something that people have to try to be able to believe in and to want to keep having more of them. And it's such a small product. And so you have to be able to go find those people that are going to come buy it. And it's not a field of dreams. If you build it, they will come situation. And what Kathy managed to find was where you could take the donuts to get those those audiences. Yeah, and that was essential there in the beginning. Yeah, taking it to your potential customer rather than waiting for them to come your way. So the next part of the journey essentially is you are selling these donuts. You have the food truck, which comes before the storefront and the, and the brick and mortar. So how did those sales then fuel the support and the decision to go brick and mortar to get people in store? And then how is that relatable to the operations? Well, this is where there was, no pun intended, a recipe for disaster. Um, I knew Kathy, she had worked for me for a medical device company several years prior. And as she had moved on from that company, this was something that was a passion of hers. And she asked me to come in on more of a advisory role to look at her financial models. And we, we mentioned that in the interview. And eat donuts. And eat donuts. But here was the problem. We worked on this together for a good year, year and a half without stepping in the kitchen at all. And I remember before we stepped into the kitchen thinking, do we even know how to make a donut? Our first donuts we made, again, a, a, almost a year and a half after starting, were in a kitchen on a little fryer you would buy at Walmart. And really spent most of my career working for startup healthcare companies, um, both on the service side and um, rehab services, home health services, and then later on um, medical device startup companies. So in fact, one I worked with recently here in um, Charlotte was ClearCollar. So I had seen a lot of small organizations grow into larger um, uh, organizations with many um, branches or many uh, clinics in, in the case of healthcare. Um, and I was fascinated by the idea of taking something, taking a product or a service, uh, creating something new, and then uh, taking it into a marketplace and then watching it grow. Your background is in sales for medical startups selling training and services. And before you went down the donut 
road, you also had another venture in between that. Exactly. So while I was in sales and marketing, I was doing a lot of writing and um, would write for various uh, healthcare publications. And then uh, I had children late in life and took some time off uh, with the kids. And during that time, I um, started to, uh, well, I wrote a book, co-wrote a book on the topic of labor pain relief because it was an experience I had just had um, and thought needed some improvement. And so I really used, again, kind of the same startup um, know-how to pitch a, a book idea to a publishing company and they liked the idea and then a couple years later um, the book ended up being uh, published by Random House. So all of a sudden I'm thinking do we even know how to make what we're getting ready to sell? And are they going to be any good? We we have a lot of trial runs. And here's the positive and negative to that. A bad donut's just as good. <laughs> we, we, we made, we, I ate a lot of donuts, and I'll speak for myself. I ate a lot of donuts that were nowhere near the quality of what sugar sells today. I would have been fine going to market to that. And she had the knowledge and the passion to say, no, this is not our product. Our product has to taste to this level. The next piece of that is dough and donuts. It's an art form. It is not a recipe. We, we, and we consulted with some of the top um, pastry chefs across the, across the nation. And the final one we landed on was one from, uh, from France. The amount of time you let the dough rise, where you punch it, where you let it rise again or proof it, it was so, it was it was almost romantic in the fact that anything I make is off the back of a box, add two tablespoons of sugar, three cups of sugar, whatever it is. It's a lot of sugar. So exactly. for a moment you feel like Patrick Swayze in the clay scene from exactly. Ghost, exactly. making donuts. Yep. <laughs> so... Figuring out that part, and then how do you turn that into operations? Because we love step-by-step -step operations. So how do we educate our staff to say, this is how you know the dough is done to, the, to our specifications? And Kathy, with her baking background, I mean, there was comparable or relatable elements to donuts, I would think. Yes, she and the thing is is it was more than a hobby to her. She really studied it and she practiced it in her personal life. But she she also knew what she didn't know and was willing to go out and find the people that could help her get that information. So when you make the transition into the brick and mortar, how hard is that transition? What um, you know, you're talking about operations happening. You've obviously been in a kitchen now in a commissary type kitchen previously. What was that transition like for you guys? Well, the transition, the, the, the hardest transition was Kathy. So we've already spent the first part of this podcast talking about how great she was in sales. Now she's running a kitchen and now she's educating. And it's that whole balance of where can we, where can we, spend our time selling as much as we are running running the kitchen and i i knew at that point watching the struggles as soon as we opened the front doors even on the truck but more so in the retail spot that we were no longer longer a pastry shop we were no longer a bakery we were a labor management company and that really became the challenge after the doors open is how do we use 
How do we acquire employees? And how do we use them effectively over the course of time? She even mentions at one point that that was her biggest challenge was getting the properly trained staff and getting them to operate efficiently. So where did most of those come from? Because I want to touch on that more because when you have a job that envelops a specific skill and things are good, it's very hard to find quality people. So what were some of the training mechanisms that were in place to find them or was there a specific path? I know she mentioned Johnson and Wells was here. What was she able to tap into to find the right people to support it? Well, we were very fortunate fortunate that Johnson and Wales was here in town. So we were able to talk to a lot of their pastry chefs or their pastry chefs in training that were looking for this type of on-the-job training. This was a, again, it was, it was a whole romance with the food industry because there were people that came from Johnson and Wales and wanted to work in the truck to learn how to start their own food truck. There were people that came to work at the shop so they could learn how to run, run a kitchen, run a shop, run the, 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 the storefront. So finding that talent was, um, we were very fortunate that we could find people that could execute on the production of the product. So beyond that, the kitchen is so much more. You have prepping, you have cleanup, you have transferring the transferring the product from the kitchen into the storefront again it's a lot of moving pieces at once and it it's it's almost a 24 hour a day business on top of that you add that the product takes almost two days to make because you have to come in on one day of the week to start your dough let's say you start on monday that dough probably will not be ready till end of day Tuesday. So you're always staying ahead of your, your production. And then with a product business like this that, you know, you're dealing with a lot of turnover, I would assume, as far as employees and having to retrain and rework. And so Kathy's the constant here, but then you're having to figure out, you know, how do we fill these holes? And we're constantly having to do that. So on the production side, that's, uh, it's unbelievably hard in a restaurant setting there are people that they want the job so badly and once they get it they don't show up on the first day you have other people that are begging for more hours that they'll work the overtime for people who haven't shown up and it was hard because finding the people that were in between to say hey we're hiring you for 20 hours a week 40 hours a week these are the days these are the times those were the hard ones to find it was either the i might show up or the I'll be here day and night employees. So in the beginning, you're focused on with a food truck, getting as many donuts in front of as many people as possible to get them tasting and talking about what you're doing. So later on now, how does that shift at all, the focus, and and who does that customer become? So they were a high-end product. We really thought, and that's why our first retail shop ended up being out in Valentine. One donut cost anywhere between three to four fifty for one donut, and I, I was just as guilty of this as Kathy in the attitude of who's going to pay this? They could get a whole dozen at Krispy Kreme or um, Dunkin' Donuts, but the the quality of the ingredients and what it took to make our donuts, the price had to be at what it was. 
we had probably out of the hundreds of thousands of customers served over five years, one or two people bring that up. And we spent probably a year worrying about our pricing. What we found out though, was while we our ideal customer we thought would be in a more upper middle class type neighborhood, we found that we did more money and people were less price conscientious in lower income areas. So when we went out to festivals, when we went out to rural areas that had carnivals, um, sports events, things like that, the amount that the volume of sales we would do there was phenomenal compared to what we would do if we were to go to, let's say, a steeplechase or to a Wells Fargo championship. And I've been very proud of that. We really, yeah. I think we've had from the beginning, because we had such good help at the very start in terms of consultants and great recipes and that kind of thing, we have an excellent product. And even five years later, I think we have the best donut in, and not just I think that, the, right. uh, the local papers and uh, Charlotte Magazine and so forth. The numerous awards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, so I'm confident that we've done what we set out to do in terms of having just a beautiful donut and pastry here in Charlotte. But in answer to the question, how long was that the question? Yeah. Can you sustain yourself? I would say after five years, and a lot just has to do with what's going on in your life. You know, right. For me, five years ago, it was the perfect time for me to um, figure out uh, or to, to put to the test you know, whether this concept was going to work and whether I could start my own business right. with a, you know, a strong partner. Um, but I would say five years later, it's uh, timely for me as my kids are now um, my last child, just left for college, to start thinking about the next move and what, uh, what I can do from here. So I know we didn't get into this in the interview with Kathy because of the timing, but and this is something you may or may not want to talk about, but you guys ended up exiting out of the business uh, successfully. And so what, what was the learnings from that in that process that maybe you could share as a sort of an update of, of Sugar? Yeah, no, so, so we, we ran the company for about five years. And when I say we, I mean Kathy. <laughs> yeah. I spent my time you know, in the accounting books, running financial models and more or less, more or less just giving advice. She was the heart, the lungs, the, the brain of the whole operation. She was there 24 seven. And as we, we've seen in other episodes, as we was, we've worked with you, the question was how do we make another Kathy so she can slowly step back and let the business run by itself. And that probably was the main cause for our exit. And at that point, I'll be honest, she, she got tired and she said, you know what, we, we have a brand, we have operations, we have assets that would be valuable to someone. Let's see who could carry this on and get this off my plate. It was the original, I think, the, I don't even want to say it was the original plan. The original vision is we're going to do this right and then we're going to make 10,000 shops just like this and be the next Ray Kroc. While that wasn't the end of, you know, that wasn't the end result of this, I would still say it was very successful. We, we made we made money back. We, you know, we probably ended up in the red a little, but, you know, nobody lost their house. It was money that nobody was unable to lose without feeling financial hardship. So it, sometimes there's a, a point of exit that's just, 
this isn't worth it for me at this point. What can I get for it? And that'll wrap up this episode. We encourage you to watch the full video episode of Cass's interview with Kathy Alexander by visiting influencingentrepreneurs.com. You can find out more about Spiracle Media by visiting spiraclemedia.com. For Tim Barron, Cass Ward, I'm Jared Latch. Thanks for joining us.